Hello and welcome to the BNY Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Shannon. Joining me is the DM, Peter Gorski. How are you? I'm splendid, Owen. We have a special guest here today. We have the CEO of Trash Gaming, James Hart. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm great. And the final person on this episode. Some may be surprised I left him for last year. The carpet extractor, Mark Gorski. I believe... He deserved, one, the anchor spot, and two, he's always willing to tell us how he's feeling when I intro him. So, Mark, how are you feeling? Oh, my gosh, Owen. There's there's a lot going on right now. I'm, I'm carrying a lot right now. Arguably, just a lot of everything. Just too, too much of everything. It's two well, hands, two eyes of mine. You know what I'm saying? I... I can kind of imagine. Give us at least one item that you're carrying right now. Okay. Well, like a deep cut reference to a game we might be talking about later. Lyrics to a song that I'm doing okay, I guess. That's that's fine. I'm doing fine. (laughs) I'm I'm excited. I've been very excited for this episode. A lot of things are going to happen tonight, and we're all going to have a great time talking about video games. All right. So. We have packed episode in store. We also have a hard out, so we need to make this all as efficient as possible. Quick housekeeping, episodes each Monday. Uh, If you're new to the show, I encourage you to take a look at our backlog. If you participate in Game Club, uh, we're doing Rayman Legends, and you know maybe we'll be done with that one by the new year. Um, So this is how it's going to work. James specifically has a hard out. And we have brought him on to discuss immortality with us. And as much of the episode as he can be a part of, we're going to record this out of order. We are going to record immortality first. The listener, you will all hear that last. And I only say this all because there could potentially be a topic where James isn't with us if we didn't keep good enough time. So if there's any chicanery like that, just know that that's how it worked out. So let's get into it. All right, let's get into the first topic. We uh, decided to have our guest James put some stuff together that I'm essentially just labeling as impactful voice acting in games. This is going to be the acting episode of the podcast. We're talking all about voice actors and immortality later on if you listen to that huge game when it comes to acting. Uh, James, uh, do you want to just uh, give us a small synopsis of what you kind of want to talk about here today? Grab my notes. Uh, well, I was. Uh, we had a discuss. We're planning a discussion here on some of the stuff going on in the voice acting world. So I kind of thought about, um, like, what? It, how important is voice acting? Do you think in a video game to you? Like, is it a make or break kind of thing for a game? Um, and is there like a uh, a scene or any a game even or a series where the voice acting is like is spot on for you, something that is a favorite or memorable to you? And that's kind of what uh, I've thought about, really. <laughs> I 
I love this topic because I kind of can't believe that we haven't talked about this yet. Never. We, we've talked about like music and games and a ton of different things. Um, that was honestly the roughest part of thinking of a topic was I had no idea what you guys had already gone over. So I just kind of ran with what we had planned otherwise. And I'm glad it's working out. <laughs> so, um, with, Mark, I, I want to start off with you on this topic because I just feel like you'll have kind of a unique take. Um, where, what is a game that you think is almost kind of like defined by its voice acting, if you could think of that? Um, well, I have a very personal answer for this of games that are defined by certain performances in it, and it is Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and 3 where I think the characters and their performances from beginning to end, even from the longest of cutscenes to the smallest bits of like dialogue that occurred during combat are so integral to the experience where some people are so into the roles and fully realize the characters in a lengthy 60 plus hour JRPG. Uh, when the performances land, uh, the characters become very near and dear to my heart. Uh, and the, both of those games, especially, I think, some of the characters, like uh, main character Xenoblade 1, Shulk, there's a lot of scenes where I think he really, the voice actor, Adam Howden, really nails scenes of, like, uh, when Shulk is in real, inter- like, has such internal pain, uh, does a really good agonizing scream, uh, which on paper maybe sounds kind of silly, but I feel like in a lot of melodramatic scenes, especially in JRPGs, they fall flat because they just are kind of loud angry screams but like uh both of these roles whether it's, it's Shulk and Xenoblade 1 like I mentioned and even uh Noah the main character of Xenoblade when they have this internal conflict this pain uh I think the voice actors really kind of bring that to light and I think that is very very important in these kind of games because there's the, we've mentioned it before on the pod even where we think there's a lot of performance whether it is a fault of the actor or just the the work they are given with the writing that isn't always the greatest uh that these moments just don't really land but to see these land in these kind of games that are super long uh where you get to know a character so long and when these important moments are there when like uh full center spotlight is on these very dramatic moments if those dramatic moments do not land the story just doesn't uh, hit as hard but both of these games like uh it, the, the serious moments, I think, really hit hard. Uh, and I appreciate those performances so, so much because of that. So that's, I mean, that's part of my answer. How else would people know whether or not uh, Shulk is really feeling it? It's true. And it juggles the very serious moments to sometimes <laughs> it is so fucking silly because some of the voice clips are used a million times. And I feel like a sane person should really hate that and would be incredibly annoyed by it. But I also love it is the duality of it there, and uh, especially seeing voice actors embrace those kind of silliness, the silly moments to the serious moments, makes the experience kind of full circle. Whether it's inside the game or even sometimes the voice actors just have fun outside of the game, really embrace the community. I know Fire Emblem Three Houses. A lot of the voice actors uh, are leading the Fire Emblem fandom more so than Nintendo will ever have the power because they're just so in tune the fans and so in tune with bringing their characters a step further outside of the game but i think that's 
not the uh, the question we're trying to answer here. Xenoblade and Xenoblade Three. I Real love- quick, before I throw it to someone else, Mark, I do want to give you some voice acting advice uh, because we we've been trying to solve your sound issues over uh-huh. the course of a few weeks here, and um, I think I think it's all your fault, and it's not your microphone. But <laughs> 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 uh, my, my advice is. I just need you to like really, really follow through on your sentences because what I'm noticing is that your mic gets really quiet and you start trailing off at the end of a sentence. So, so just that's my direction to you. I'm the director of BNY. Okay. Follow through on sentences. Do you hear how um, loud I am with some of the dumb shit? Do you hear how loud I am when I talk about lucid games? I need you to do that for your, for all of your thoughts. I'm gonna run out of breath very quickly if I do that. <laughs> I, I think I think if Mark tried to mimic Peter, we would be at about like normal volume. Um, it would all even out in the end. But Peter, uh, what are some games to you that you think are made by the voice acting? Really come together. Now, obviously, there's a lot of aspects of Tales from the Borderlands that Ooh. work to the game's favor. And you have incredible performances all around. But there is one character in particular I would like to discuss. Now, me, James, and Mark have all played Touch in the Borderlands. I want... so I need to give out slight spoilers. But this is a performance I feel very strongly of and is... One of my favorites in games. Um, if any listeners care, skip ahead. And, uh, I don't know, uh, two minutes, maybe five. I'm I'm so, sure people are fine. So there is a character that you Old meet. Game. Yeah, there is a character you meet whose name is Loaderbot. Yes, <laughs> Loaderbot is at first. I want you've never played Borderlands two. There is a branch of enemies that you fight that the main villains of uh, Borderlands to named Hyperion. They're a, a, a evil company that is just trying to get artifacts and vaults and all across Pandora. Evil, evil company. Da, 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 da. Loaderbot is voiced by Rice and Varner, and, lo- and a lot of these Loaderbots are a common enemy you fight in Borderlands 2. Then in Tales from the Borderlands, there is just another of these loader bots and he ends up being the emotional crux of the game in my opinion anyway i don't know if you would disagree or, or agree with me james no that's uh that's pretty accurate loader bot is the there's a loader bot is the emotional core of the game he's, he's my favorite incredible. character in the game uh, he has an arc he has actual character moments. He's not just used as a gag. Every I want to say there is in the main cast of Tales from the Borderlands, the main group of friends, it's six people. It is my favorite cast in a video game. Are you James? Here's a quick question for you. What do you like more? The main group of friends, like the main cast in Tales from the Borderlands, or Mass Effect 2? Well, uh, I'm. I mean, I'm gonna say Mass Effect Two. 
Yeah. I'm going to say Tales from the Borderlands because James, each one of those characters, I think, is a 10 out of 10. I think they're incredibly acted, whereas in Mass Effect 2, you have some fucking stinkers. You have some shady crewmates in Mass Effect 2 where in Tales, they're all fantastic. But again, that's a discussion for another day. And Loaderbot's performance it adds so much to the overall experience of Tales because it comes from a character you wouldn't have expected it from who ends up having so much more significance than you would ever thought because he just starts as like a one as a gag of like oh here's just a random like a, a like imagine like a Rattata from Pokemon giving like an <laughs> Emmy performance that's what I, how I would describe uh Loaderbot in Tales of Borderlands I absolutely love that character his performance adds so much to the games considering the character it comes out of again all the acting in that game is genuine some of the best i've ever heard but when it comes from characters you would least expect that is when it leaves a stronger impression on me and makes me care about the game overall more um james how about you what's a what's a game that stands out uh well i have um two moments but i'll start off with one because it actually surprisingly is also a robotic type character uh i believe we've all played portal 2 in the portal series uh glados is a classic character for good reason the the way she turns such a monotone voice into such a threatening voice at the same time and all the entire mix especially when she goes into the potato and two uh is incredible. Like I without GLaDOS, I don't think Portal would be half as good, honestly. I like I is agree. it a fun is it a fun <laughs> like puzzle game? Yes. And I'm sorry, I'm good. I, I was gonna say, like, I want to throw Wheatley into this praise as well. I think Wheatley oh, is awesome. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh the voice acting even without it, it's actually a uh a good question for maybe the end of this topic is do you think voice acting is necessary in gaming um at least for the main character i think portal is a uh perfect example of not needing it in a main character because of glados and wheatley um and my other moment i was thinking of was uh did everyone play far cry 3 yes Uh, i did voss in far cry 3 i think he made that game he made he, that franchise. Well, he made I, yeah, it so much that well. they they literally yeah. just decided like, let's do that ten more times. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not as good. Been, yeah, I, I haven't. I don't think I've completed a Far Cry game since three. Uh same, same. I love how Ubisoft is like Far Cry, a series infamously known for its villains. It's like, no, you had one really good one, and then told yourself you've made several other good villains. A small tangent on this note. I don't know about you guys. Uh, James, you have not been playing Rayman Legends, but I'm playing the Definitive Edition on Switch, and there's a bunch of Ubisoft costumes from throughout this series, and the only Far Cry costume is Rayman in a boss costume. <laughs> that, is, that is very notable here. That's just an odd costume to have in there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Shout it's out so the actor of Voss. Uh, I'm watching better call Saul for the first time right now and I'm loving it and he's a significant role in it very good actor but um the game 
that I would shout out. I, I'm going to be a broken record on this because a lot of the significant ones I know that I have pointed out before. I just think the overall like complete like all pro team. We just put all of the best players on the same team and they they went undefeated is Hades. I think. Oh, Hades is great. I think every. I mean, Zagreus and Hades specifically are next level, next level voice performances. But every character is great in that game. And also, actually, you know what? I should throw Meg into mm-hmm. the next level tier as well. Um, just they managed to convey so much in that game. What is really told in ultimately like a visual novel style. Um, but the combination of the vocal performances along with just some of the special touches that they add to the presentation, like when Hades gets angry and you hear like the low bass build up and like he'll, his character model will kind of like pop on screen more and you'll really like feel the aggressiveness combine that with the performance that is going on and it's just it is just a masterwork and the other one i'll shout out because i mean peter would be offended if i didn't is uh i mean red dead 2 <laughs> red, red dead 2 does yeah. have some great acting i i didn't want to mention it either because peter teed us up to well he was expecting that coming from one of us but i want to throw my hat in the ring just to double down Uh, of course please go on the (laughs) main thing i would say about it is is i think uh red dead 2 in many ways is more of a like writing achievement but i mean it doesn't work without the actor specifically the actor for arthur is incredible and also shout out dutch as well Mm-hmm. Um, Red Dead Two is one, I- one of those games that annoys me because I've bought it twice and have yet to play more than probably six hours of it each time. Oh, Look, that's a good decision. I mean, that's it's a good decision. it's a flawed game. It is a flawed video game that I think is just the best story I've played in a video game. Basically, go watch and- a movie, James. Go watch a movie. You'll <laughs> better, better use your time. You get the same thing out of it. Uh, you you might be able to make the case for that. I think there's there's a lot of value added to playing it, but um not necessary. It's it's not entirely necessary. Like some of the things that they did to like quote unquote make it more realistic are they're objectively annoying. Like I wish they weren't there and also it is too long. But Arthur Morgan is the best character ever to exist in a video game. So one more performance. I got one more performance. I want to shout out and that is the walking dead season one. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Uh, I thought, I thought about this as well. Probably the same character. I mean, I'm going to go with both Lee Everett and Clementine. I was mainly thinking Lee. I didn't think of Clementine, but you're right. I think both performances are out of this world. There is nothing that The Walking Dead as a brand will ever come close to in quality ever again as The Walking Dead Season 1. And that entire game is entirely dependent on whether or not you give a fuck about Lee and Clementine. And I'm trying to find the actor and actress behind the, the roles right now, just give you know, the proper... As I'm looking that up, but 
Um, if is it, is I don't it give Dave a shit of, Fennoy for Dude, I kept yes, it's Dave Fennoy. I kept thinking Dave Filoni was like, no, that's a Star Wars guy. Dave Fennoy as Lee Everett is fantastic. And uh, actor, as I search the name of the Clementine actress, if those performances suck, that game doesn't win game of the year. No one gives a shit about no, no one cares about Telltale. If Hurt. those two performances aren't up to stuff, and I the agree. fact that those two yeah. were so good gave Telltale like eight, like just years and years worth of existence. Her name they is Melissa Hutchinson. Thank you. Yeah, no, Lee Everett and Clementine they made Telltale, and you know it's a shame what ended up happening to them. But again, play that. I, I again, I'm not. I don't ever see myself being into like point and click adventures again. I don't really want to play anymore. But Really, even if like, bring that game to the most like jaded asshole who hates that genre with a passion, no one will walk away from that game and going, "Oh, Lee and Everett and Clementine, bad characters, bad performances." I didn't care. You will care deeply about both of them if you play that game, whether Here. you hate or like the game itself. So I Here. would say, sorry, <laughs> you're good. You're good. I was thinking of it just because it's Telltale. The Wolf Among Us actually has very good voice acting as well. Yes, and it I'm does. Actually- I'm very excited for their. Is it, is it a second season or is it more of a reboot? It's a I've second season. Of, it's a okay, okay. I'm very excited for that if it ever does actually come out. Um, one thing I don't think you could ever say about Telltale is uh, that they were ever really getting bad performances. Um, I think their performances were almost always good. And here is a take that I didn't quite realize I had until this moment, but I do. Uh, I think the relationship of Lee and Clementine hits way harder than the relationship of Joel and Ellie, in my opinion. Oh my god, of course it does. It's not even a fucking question. I mean, it's not even a question in my book. I think it depends on like in what context, because like they they are very different, but also similar dynamics that their relationships are going for. Uh. I I personally am more of a Joel and Ellie person, but I don't think it is like a large margin between the two. There's there's something that I I I've never really vocalized, but um I just know it to be true. Is that I like Joel and Ellie. I do not love them like a lot of other players of the last of us do like something about it. I just don't connect with it as much. Whereas like I, I like cried at the end of the walking dead season one. So I, I also kind of did. I yeah, didn't yeah. cry. I was emotionally despondent. I, I, I remember I, that. Remember. I, I think I was texting you on Thanksgiving about it. Yep. It was Thanksgiving. <laughs> I went to a Thanksgiving I, oh, I went to a Thanksgiving dinner that day and I just sat in a chair. I was just thinking about The Walking Dead the entire time. I like nothing else mattered. I was just thinking about Lee and Clementine. What a perfect like, day to finish that game. Yep. I just, I was visibly off and I wasn't ashamed of it because that game emotionally affected me as strongly as it did. All right. Two more things to touch on quick in this topic. Uh, this one will relate to Mark's topic later on here, but. Um, Games that wouldn't be the same without their voice actor. I'm going to kick this off where uh, I think one of them is Master Chief, who is not like not the 
largest range actor, but such an iconic voice, so associated with that character. It's like Charles Martinet as Mario. You can add Mario to the list. And the last one, because we got the opportunity to see it, is uh, David Hayter as Snake or Boss. Um, big Boss, actually. Big That's Boss, Big Boss. What the fuck um, And uh, we got the opportunity to see it not be David Hayter with Kiefer Sutherland in MGS5, and they hardly let him speak. And when he did speak, it just it did not hit the same. Um, I think video games, especially, although, I mean, I'm sure this applies to animated film because we're not actually seeing these actors face like you, you get an inordinate amount of connection to someone's voice. So if someone's voice is unique sounding like the, the voice of Mario chief or snake, I really do not think you can you can move on from them. Uh and if you do, you better believe like they gotta sound like the old person because uh I just I think it will it would be too unsettling for people ultimately. Do any more come I, to mind for you guys here? I I was gonna go in depth on Mario, but you got it. I have an instance for a game. I don't know if I can bring it up. I don't know if it counts. It is not. It is bringing a character from a side project, bringing it into the main game and having that character be like a core aspect of the game. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. There's a character from Tales from the Borderlands that is brought in the Borderlands 3. He is a main character. He is a main part of the plot. They replaced the voice actors in between the games. Ah. And then it completely fucking butchers that character, and it makes me hate the game more. Does that does this count? Oh yeah, no, yes. I, I think that. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Troy Baker. They don't bring Troy Baker. Troy Baker back for Reese, and the new guy is trying his damnedest to do a Troy Baker impression. And so you will about Troy Baker. There's a reason he's the best voice actor in the industry. He's amazing, and he brought so much life to Reese and Kales. And the fact that they just. I believe they just they tried going with non-union actors at the time because that's how Gearbox works, baby. And it made the the Borderlands three is already a fucking dumpster fire. It's already shit, and it makes it even worse when you take the main character from the best game in your fucking series and you recast him for a knockoff. No offense to the voice actor, but he's just. He's chasing Troy's performance the entire time, and it's not Reese. It's not. It's like it's like it's like someone is wearing your dead friend's face, and you can just see the skin stapled to the Jesus. face. Like you're not this, my friend. You're not my Jesus. friend. Yeah, like this who are you? Is what should have happened. They should have brought Troy Baker back for that role, and then whoever the guy was that replaced him, they should have just given him a shot at taking Troy Baker's role in Miles Morales. Okay, no, again, I don't blame Troy Baker for that performance. It's the direction and the writing. That's what he was told to do. That's the character's told to play. I, I agree, and I understand that direction plays like an even larger role in uh in voice acting. I just I think about it all the time that I can't believe how bad that performance is in that game. I, I really of- can't believe it. I want to say, talking about a game that would be worse off without a voice actor, Yuri, Spider-Man 2018 would not be as good without Yuri Lowenthal. 
And I'm oh, I agree. I, I I think Spider-Man 2018 is is actually a good one to call out of like the acting in that game is really good and really kind of everything is pretty tight in that game to uh allow for some of the emotional payoffs that happen, but the the acting is great and I just wish I could say the same about Miles Morales. Um I never played that, but anytime any of you ever It's coming about to PC it, next awful. month, James. It's coming to PC. It's a fun game to play. It's still a Spider-Man game, uh, and it's fun. Right. But I mean the the story is just very disappointing. You can this go bat. back you can go back about fifty episodes or more. Uh I don't know when we recorded that one, but uh Joe's mic sounds horrible. <laughs> um, we, why do we I think Joe is really good at Overwatch. There. There's a compliment for Joe. I feel like we talk too negatively <laughs> on him on this podcast. So Joe, you're really good at Overwatch. You're just as elitist as Mark is about the game, and I think you what? two would make a great duo. Here here is why it's okay that we talk shit on Joe. Because there's a bunch of zeros that we're not bringing up on the podcast, so he gets the spot. He he lives in our brains. And also, Owen, you better not have the nerve to ever play Moira around him ever again. <laughs> really? <laughs> you better you not! The, he'll bury a knife in your chest for that. <laughs> he, he will come to your apartment and kill you. Uh, did, did you did play he, Moira? Did he, like, go in on me while I was not around? <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Really um, in on you, but he doesn't like your Moira. He no, does not like your well, Moira. Okay, that's great. It was the first time I played Overwatch in five years. <laughs> he um, doesn't care. I I think he should grow up. Um, <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. Uh, Let's end on the question that James had of if voice acting is essential. Um, I have an obvious one where it is not essential. And I'm very pleased that this will be the case. Starfield is not going to have main character voice acting because voice acting is not essential in RPGs, I think. Um especially when it comes to your main character, if they are voice acted, it will affect how far the story can go and how much it can be manipulated. You take out that aspect, all of a sudden the game feels much more free and uh, a bunch of different things can happen in the story. And uh, Fallout 4 was worse off because it had a voiced protagonist. But in most other cases... I think voice acting is very nice to have. Yeah, when, I kind of get what you're saying. With When it's more personalized experience and you're choosing the direct dialogue like that, uh, voice having a generic voice isn't as... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Immersive? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I echo the sentiment to a degree because like, that's a very key for a lot of Western RPG philosophy. But then Mass Effect exists, and some of those, uh, the performance, at least for Femship, is put on such a high pedestal. Jennifer Hill is held to such a high praise, and we'll talk about Jennifer Hill later in her performances. Uh, but that that one game, I feel like, is an outlier in that. Well, like I would say normally you are right, 
But there are some examples that really go to show, like, even in a game just like that, uh, these performances can go so far. And kind of referencing what I said about Xenoblade before, is I think a lot of these games, stories fall flat because they follow that philosophy. But sometimes when they're done very, very well, uh, there, there are some scenes and uh, some characters that shine brighter in these kinds of games, in RPGs, uh, that... I think shine so much brighter because you don't have these kind of characters because they prioritize that uh, empty vessel easy to project yourself onto uh, and experience this vast uh, game with so many choices, you know? Yeah. Um, I agree with that. And Peter, do you have any standout thoughts on this? I'm of the mindset I'm mixed. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's happening? Uh-oh. Oh, that's not good. Can you not hear us? Uh. Well, Peter's gone. All right. All right, then. <laughs> Peter's gone. Um, This has been a, a strange episode. Yeah, uh, a little bit. I wonder if he's having an apartment, like, emergency right now. That's what I'm wondering. I doubt it. I... He's still going off of my old, old laptop, um, and I bet something just went wrong with it. That's my guess. He was just so quick to respond to that's not good. It made me feel like something happened around him, and he closed his laptop because it called for his attention. Well, well, now he's out of the Discord call. Oh, Oh, wow. That was perfect timing for that, I guess. Okay. Um, Well, I guess... uh, we'll never know what his mixed opinions were because we're going to move on to what we've been playing. We're going to continue going out of order here just so uh, we can get James in for this topic. Um, Mark and James, I have a feeling that you're what you've been playing is connected in some way. Oh yeah. Am I, am I correct in that assumption? Um, <laughs> this seems like- it has been a long time coming. <laughs> to this very what we've been playing session because even though james is here for the immortality uh segment i james and i have been secretly planning to sneak him in for a what we've oh we were planning an ambush of this for a while and we just kept failing yeah i remember on one time in a pre-show i said there's going to be one week we're going to have to use the discord audio and you have to trust me and it was yeah i was going to have James dive bomb in during a what we've been playing because James, oh. James has finished 13 Sentinels of the Stream and I think we deserve to give him the spotlight to talk of about this. This <laughs> is a 13 Sentinels of the Stream podcast right now. So James, you have finished the Try Sentinels, to avoid right? spoilers, please. Of course. Uh, oh, and I I hope you play this game. Uh I will make a comment just because a quick comment because we are talking about voice actors or we're just finishing that. Uh, Mark, one thing I will say about uh, 13 Sentinels, if I was not able to switch from the English voice acting, I don't know if I could have finished it. Really? You didn't like it? I didn't like, I didn't like the English voice acting that much. I don't know why. It just did not fit to me at all. Interesting. I did not have that problem personally, but that is an interesting take. Good thing to swap. The switch is there. You don't have to play that way. But um, you do Oh, and you might not have Oh, and you might not have a problem with it. Uh, I loved the game. I, I loved every bit of the game. 
the combat system I think was really cool, Mark. I know you didn't like it uh, as much, um, but it's like it's kind of like a a tower defense, like a strategic tower defense kind of thing, and it's it's very different. I haven't played any uh, any game like it, honestly. Uh, the visual novel aspect is really nice because it's very easy to pick up and play. Like, uh, there are 13 characters you go through, which sounds like a lot, but each section that you do is, like, no more than, like, 20 minutes. Uh, so if you really just sit down, even if you only have an hour, you can still get through a bit and, like, you feel like you're actually making progress, and it's something I really liked about the game as well. Um, and it's also not very long. If you put your time into it, it's only, like, maybe... 20 30 hours depending on how quickly you play it um uh mark we've never actually fully talked about it though uh what did what did you think about it oh i i i love so much about it specifically the visual and apple aspects that's where i feel like is like the prime game oh absolutely like i like that there is the jump between sometimes the the mech uh strategy stuff and then jumping between the 13 characters but not so much because I was dying to play the strategy because I think it was fine. Like, I don't think it was bad by any means, but like every time I'm doing the tactics, I'm just thinking, man, I wish I wasn't gated from the visual novel stuff because I have to play this right now to progress. I'm just thinking about going back into different character stories. And another thing I love about it is that each character's stories like are all also self-contained. Like there is a story for each 13 character, but at the same time, all of those stories and the mech combat all kind of fit together in this overarching narrative of just going back and forth of like, you know, uh, at some point, all 13 stories are going to connect into whatever is happening in the strategy portions of the game. Because at that point, like, like in visual novel stuff, it is everyday life of visual novels, sometimes not so much, but then you're also juggling, like you also have access to this other side of the story from the get go. It's like, all these kids are in mechs and they're fighting kaiju that are invading Japan. How the fuck do we get from A to B? And just in progressing all of these stories, you think you have ideas of how we get from A to B, only to realize maybe it's like, oh, we're actually going to connect from A to D. And then you're wondering, like, is this even D? Are we starting at A? What is what is happening? When is any of this happening? Uh, and, and just depending on what order like even we're talking about or will be talking about immortality and how nonlinear that is everybody stay tuned for that uh but like this is another example of this like like when you were playing the game earlier james we were struggling to have a spoiler free talk about it because we went in such different orders of what yeah stories we were approaching we basically couldn't talk about it because we had i hadn't gotten to certain percentages on characters and it was very hard to figure out where exactly in the story uh-huh. we were talking about um the game does a very good job of like pulling the rug out from under you too because it gives you it makes you think you have an idea of, of for what's going on and by the end it's nowhere near what you would have expected honestly mm-hmm. like this game is like some people think like twists and stories are a novelty like it's not like the selling point and like i think the plot and the characters are fun and interesting in this game but like the way this game just has such a number of satisfying twists and turning your head over thinking like just reconsidering what is happening putting the timeline of this game together where all the pieces land because 
you think all the characters storylines maybe some of them are happening at the same time some are happening a little bit ahead of each other's or a little bit before and then you're just always questioning okay that's not correct actually i have a different idea of when things are happening and then you go just not even just like trying a new character but one step forward in a different character who you thought was at a certain point in the timeline and you're like nope i was wrong big reveal at the end of this it's it's crazy like how many big reveals they can kind of have without it feeling like old or just feeling like after a certain point you have figured it out it's not until the end game that they are they have run out of stuff to pull out from under their sleeves and i this this is one of the most underrated games i have ever played and there is a reason i get on my soapbox so proudly it is not just like i'm i am being annoying about this game as a bit this game is really something cool. And it's even it's even better, honestly. It's kind of a funny story with uh, it being technically my Secret Santa gift from 2021 <laughs> that Mark gave me just before camping. And I'm like, all right, this would be cool. And I looked into it a little. It didn't, and then I, fin- I was in the middle of like three games. I finished two of them. And I'm like, all right, why not? And I ended up adoring it. Honestly, like, probably... It's... Besides Elden Ring, it's probably, like, my game of the year. Oh, my God. (laughs) So good. This... (laughs) Listeners out there, I know we have at least one listener who has played 13 Sentinels Ring. And they can pat themselves on the back because they are responsible for having me play 13 Sentinels Eagles Rift. And anyone out there who is not familiar with this game, who has heard me talk about it, maybe you haven't heard please me talk play about it, it before, please. At it's least look spreading it. like a disease. Owen, please I will let you borrow my copy. Uh, you know, it's possible one day. Owen's um, not going to play the game. Peter, I'm, I'm still, I'm still working on becoming a gamer. I'll, I have an update on that when we get to me. But um, uh, I, I'm just really happy for you guys. You're just, uh, I'm not. Famous. Okay. Uh, besides that, because I actually finished that like I don't know two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. Uh, <laughs> I have been playing Neon White a bit, uh, and I am also fixing uh, playing God of War 2018, which I never mm. did. I am playing that on my PC, uh, and otherwise, I'm trying to keep it to that, and I'm trying not to start too many things. Uh, and then I'm playing Apex, and is a. Uh... Is Neon White clicking with you at all? Oh, I love it. Uh, but I currently play it in, like, downtime when I don't feel like playing anything else. Uh, it's not to say I don't love the game. It's just, like, how I find myself picking it up. And that's exactly how it worked for me, too. It, it actually took me forever to beat, even though I loved it, because it was very rare. I was doing dedicated sessions. It was more yeah. like... Because I played on my Switch, so it would be like, I'm at my girlfriend's house, and there's just like a lull of nothing happening, so I'm just going to play on my Switch for a little bit, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I uh, I want to hear what Mark has been playing. Um, So, not too much exciting to talk about here. Of course, Immortality, which we're going to talk about very shortly. Um, And I think I'm about halfway through Rain Man Legends right now. And that's that's about it. Things we're gonna we talk get about back on that. It's been a while. It's not super long. Uh, 
So that's that's one good thing we have going for us. I think honestly, if we're not playing anything, there's a chance we could probably get this done before November. Less there's days. a chance you could get it done before Mark, November. Mark, I'm yeah, Mark, I'm starting Sparks of Hope within like 24 hours. I'm not I'm not getting Rayman done anytime soon. Well, okay, there may be isn't a lot of days left in October, <laughs> where I'm thinking there's like two or three weeks left. Unfortunately, that is not the case. So maybe, maybe let's see how November goes. What else are we playing besides God of War? I know what I'm playing, but I'll be done by then, probably. Um, uh, I will maybe be I'll play Dark- Pokemon? Uh, I'll Pokemon and then Dark Tide at the end of November. Okay. Um. All right, so that's Mark. Peter, what do you got going? Just more Overwatch 2. I haven't really been playing anything else. I haven't wanted to start any single-player games this week because I knew Sparks of Hope was coming out uh, Friday, so I'm just eagerly waiting that the excitement is finally starting to set in i'm still loving overwatch 2 it's a great time and i'll be playing more of it nothing new to say on it and that's it for me I, i'll have I sparks think, of hope to talk about next week peter i think there's one little overwatch 2 detail you could talk about and that is we did get to play together after i was talking myself yes actually we right when we finished last week's recording we got on for like two to three hours and we won most of our games I was gonna say I I felt like I was maybe talking myself up a little bit too highly than maybe I deserved, but at the same time, we won every game where we weren't facing against a mate, which was two games. Every other game we won. That is so true. I feel like it is a little bit of a pat on the back that I I delivered uh, in front of Peter and Peter vouches for me when I say yeah, I. Yeah, James, you also played Overwatch too, and you didn't talk about it. How curious. Well, that was a while ago. Do you, do you want him to talk about every game that he's played since he was last on the podcast? We talked about it a while ago. He just we just played a few days ago, Owen. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah. I, I thought yeah. it was still the same session. Yeah, from, no, like, it was me, him, and Joe. Yeah, we got on a few days ago. And, oh, James didn't uh, mention how weird. Oh yeah, how weird. But I mentioned Apex. I know. Okay, uh, uh, James, you we don't like this. Con- we I had this it. conversation while we played Overwatch. My yeah, but like Mark and Owen were there, and now we. Yeah, Mark and Owen were there, and now we can now we can have this discussion at forever recorded at the time. You, we need to admit it. You don't like Overwatch. You don't like. Uh, it. I, do, I do not have fun playing Overwatch. Why is this? I don't know. I like. I I think, especially okay when we're playing with like a group of us, like four or five of us, it's a lot more fun. When it's like two or three of us with a couple randoms, it requ- it's requiring a stupid amount of cooperation with randoms that i don't like for one and i just feel like every time i go into it everyone's super salty it's like my third game and i'm getting like fucking yelled at in the chat and it's like i like why why would you I got yelled at one time you got yelled at one, still, that one guy like, did not what, like your soul my second six. second or third game and it's like fuck off like i don't fucking care this is pubs i don't what like what the fuck like, I don't even get that shit in Apex. There was yeah, a guy. Now, who, yeah, I, I have the same issue, only it's when I play with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> the from inside the house. <laughs> um, I James, I I relate to you not in that I like inherently dislike Overwatch. It's just like I actually disagree with what you said on when you get four or five because. I mean, our last experience of getting four of us on was they just put us up against esports teams. 
because we had a team of four already. Yeah, um, I guess that's also fair. <laughs> and I mean, the balance in this game is so horrible Awful. that uh, it makes it not fun. And in in some ways, I think it's almost because they one their their skill based matchmaking is just bad, and two. Uh, I almost think they kind of overbalanced characters to the point where, like, I think it's okay if, like, oh, uh, Junkrat, like, his his wheel was uh, super overpowered in Overwatch 1, at least at the beginning of it. And I hear, like, nowadays, like, the wheel doesn't really mean much. Um, I think it's okay if characters have their one thing that is stand out like really tough to deal with as long as other characters are built to be able to like either have their thing that packs an equal punch or can counter it it's when they decide to get in and start like nerfing stuff too much that i think balancing goes too far because then you're just trying to make like the fun parts of the game not as fun if that makes sense yeah nerfing into the ground is worse than it being overpowered yes there was a point in time where blizzard really prioritized uh competitive play versus casual play and i think for a lot of people that uh, was the big decline of overwatch uh where they were only listening to that or they were prioritizing that feedback and a lot of characters like skill ceilings, like the high skill ceilings, are just raising. And the bottom floor for a lot of characters was also kind of either lowering some characters, staying the same, and became such a counter pick meta where, like, if you aren't playing like the optimal version of some of these characters, or not even just if you're getting outplayed, but someone is just good enough with a certain character that you, your character just can't deal with, sometimes you really just either have to swap out or you really have to roll up the sleeves, know what you're doing with the character you're doing, and like really uh, really overcome this huge obstacle of a character that completely counters your play style. And that's not fun for a lot of people. I don't mind it personally. Uh, that's just me. and I'm not the golden standard here because I'm, uh, definitely a lot of people, I feel like, think that is an issue. And I really like love to watch Overwatch. I love to watch Overwatch. Uh, I like watching it being played. Don't like playing it myself. See, and I, I really like playing Overwatch, and you and Joe and others, or uh, other people we know, like, oh, you're so known to Apex. I don't like playing Apex anymore. I don't like it. I'm not good uh, at it. I love Apex. I, yeah, see, I much prefer Overwatch. I have a lot more fun in Overwatch. I'm not as stressed. And in Apex, I just feel like so We're almost in gold. Yeah, I'll be honest. Yeah. I kind of just want Warzone to be good again. <laughs> I'm, I'm, re- I'm actually really excited for modern warfare 2 it the really like not dumbed down but more simplified combat and everything uh it's slowed down combat just looks like such a nice breath of fresh air i agree i just um, want a halo battle royale that's where i met anyway that I'm too glad. that too uh so what i've been playing i have one game and i have I have more of a story to go along with it than any sort of analysis because I haven't been able to play that much. But it's well documented on this podcast that in 2019, I fell out of love 
with gaming for at least a period of time uh, when we went through the decade and we had to list some of our favorites from each year i believe madden 20 was my number one Ooh. it was it was a rough year and i was able to rekindle my love in 2020 and the flame that emerged from that or the, i guess i mean it caused the flame uh was Doom 2016. So I've decided that I need another spark. And I have begun Doom Eternal. And Doom Eternal, I, I fully expect it to be to be the game that brings me back. Because Hello! I, need it to be. I surprisingly still have, yet, still have yet to get through either of those games. You need to, James. They're both very good. Doom Eternal is one of the best games I've played this year. I love Doom 2016. Um... I really love games that give me full permission to just just play it for the fact that it's like I'm just killing demons and it feels really good doing it. And Doom Eternal obviously strikes that chord. I my only thoughts on it so far really are I'm actually a bit surprised at how different it is from Doom 2016. Like, uh, maybe it's just my memory failing me, but I just feel like some of the flow of the combat is significantly different in like a quicker way. And I think that's ultimately going to be for the best, but I can't fully judge. Um, but I've really only done the first main mission. I had a great time with it. And the other thing that I, am doing in this playthrough something i never ever give myself permission to do in games but if i'm going to do it any game it's going to be doom i am skipping cutscenes. i do not care about the story don't tell me a damn thing there there are these like priests these like devil priests that i'm supposed to be killing i don't care i don't care i saw i saw like half a second of them and i held x or whatever it is to uh <laughs> skip the cutscene. It's funny because the most I've probably seen of either of those games are the cutscenes. Um, I don't even I'm sure there were cutscenes in Doom 2016. I don't remember them at all. Um and I also just find it kind of weird where uh this game seems like fairly cutscene heavy for a Doom game when like Kind of like the thesis statement of Doom 2016 is like it doesn't matter, seeing as in the first like 20 minutes, Doom guy just destroys a terminal that is like trying to tell you story. Um, so I'm I'm treating it that way. The story does not matter to me. I plan to consume none of it, and I'm just gonna kill some monsters. Doom Eternal, bringing me back, making me a gamer again. That's what this is all about. All right, uh, James. It's about to be ten thirty. Do you wanna? Do you wanna tap yeah, out? It'd probably be the perfect time to. Uh, All right. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, people will be hearing you on the Immortality Spoiler Cast at the end of this episode, but we're recording out of order, so we can let you go, and we'll get into what is technically the second topic, but it's the last one we're recording. Have a good rest of the podcast. Bye, James. See you, James. Thanks for stopping by, James. Your contribution was immensely helpful. Thank you, Mike.
Burton Cox. All right, get out. Fuck <laughs> you. All right. Overwatch Overwatch 2 is terrible. No, oh. it's not. Get out. It's just not. I We'll talk about it. He, he screams like a banshee whenever he plays with us. He does. See, and I, everyone knows he's not having a good time. He tries to force himself to do it. It's rough. I think if he had the right tank, maybe he wouldn't feel that way. But we'll cross that bridge one day, maybe. But a uh, bridge we must cross is once again talking about the realm of voice acting. Because there is some drama that has been happening. And history is repeating itself in the form of people wanting to boycott video games. Uh, that's what I think we want to talk about here for my topic, the final topic, but not actually final topic uh, because you guys are going to hear us talk about immortality. But we, we we should just try and explain that a few more times. What we're doing here, we're recording. Anyway, this is BNY Gaming Tent <laughs> for Buffalo, New York. This is a video game podcast. We have simp- we just haven't done this before, and I just catch myself tripping on my own words. That's all. But yeah, no, fair fair enough. It is simply put, if anyone has not heard yet, Bayonetta 3, Helena Taylor, voice actress for Bayonetta, that did not return for Bayonetta 3. Uh, and people were sad to see her get replaced by Jennifer Hale. But then uh, Helena went on to Twitter last week, go on and say, well, there's a reason why she hasn't returned. That is because Platinum Games has only offered her $4,000, supposedly at the time of her report last week. That is what she said. $4,000 to reprise the role one last time. Total. Yeah, total for the entirety of acting throughout the whole game, which is a kind of a slap in the face for a whole entire gig. Like, that is that is a lot of time to record. Uh, and she wasn't going to have that at all. She did not take it, uh, obviously, and they moved on to Jennifer Hale. Uh, and she asks, she was asking people on Twitter, possibly, please boycott the game and the money you would spend on that. Donate it to charity. Uh, and a lot of people were definitely rallying on her side to say, yes, we'll boycott this game. Of course, well, that sounds terrible. Platinum Games, how dare you? Then Hideki Kamiya, director of the game, goes on to say on Twitter, this is sad and deplorable behavior on Helena's behalf for, for saying this. Uh, and people are angry with Hideki Kamiya, and he only makes the situation worse by continuing to block everyone on Twitter, which he's done before. And I think to some degree, depending on how you ask, people thought Hideki Kamiya was doing it all in jest. But I don't know. Maybe he is kind of creepy. Maybe some people didn't have that take on it. But the story is just kind of snowballed from there. Platinum putting out a statement saying, no, we offered Helena Taylor more, 4000 per session. What was going to be a total of 15000 for the entirety of the session. But then Helena says back, no, this is not true. Platinum is lying to you. What? I thought I thought it was going to be five sessions for 4000 each. So wouldn't it have been 20000 Or You might be right. I thought it was fifteen to twenty thousand. Let's just say that yeah, okay, somewhere in that range, which is far, far more for sure. Um, but Helena says that is not true, and in the situation right now is turned into a he said, she said. Uh, and I was briefly talking about this with a friend of mine before, and he's saying how in one of the discords he's in for a community, there's so many people who have backed off on their boycott, just like oh, it might not be real. I'm going to buy Bayonetta three again, and he was bothered just by the fact that just. How can you be so quick, especially when we don't have any concrete answer of who is right, who is wrong, that you're going to just decide, oh, you're not going to boycott anymore. And this kind of attitude of wanting to boycott a game, is this is not the first time we've seen this in the past couple of years. I feel like to some extent it is a hot trend of, oh, we don't like something is happening in games, we're going to boycott this. Uh, And 
I don't really think everyone's on the same page and there's not a lot of sincerity behind it sometimes. And that's what we're here to talk about is these video boycotts. Guys, when you hear a boycott is happening on a game, what is your initial take on that? Do you, do you have like a roll of the eyes or is there more to the matter? All right. I want to start off. Everyone is allowed to boycott whatever the hell they want. I am in no way saying people should and shouldn't be doing this with their money. It's their own hard-earned dollars. No one but them should be telling them how to spend it. I also do believe in protesting against something you you know believe strongly in. I respect that. When I look at something like the quote-unquote boycott over Pokemon Sword and Shield because they didn't have you know the what was it like released the like the national decks what was yes. the hashtag mark. It was. I think that's on point. I think it was released the national. And then Sword and Shield goes on to be the third best-selling uh, Pokemon game in the franchise. And you have a bunch of these people on Twitter going like, "What the hell's wrong? Oh, where was the boycott? Well, I can't believe why didn't everyone support it?" I the two main things I want to separate is I respect everyone who boycotts, and I believe they should. And also, I want everyone to stop being surprised when every single one of these boycotts inevitably fails. Because people need to realize, and I know this is just being beaten into the heads of more and more people each passing day, that Twitter is not reality. Twitter is not real life, and the vast majority of the population does not use any social media. They, I understand why people want to boycott something, especially when it comes to like, hey, the main voice, we were just talking about performances in games. It's even that, that's still on even to this final topic. That's what this whole episode's about, is performances in games. Bayonetta, I do think, has an iconic voice. It is a very unique and specific voice. When you hear that woman talk, you think of Bayonetta. Even in an action game, that people still have an affection for the titular character. And I can understand why they wouldn't want to play the game anymore, because she's not in it, especially if she was screwed over. But they don't actually... This sounds kind of saying, do they actually believe they're going to make a difference? That's where I come down. Is I'm totally fine with them doing this, but if they truly think they're going to shift the direction of the success of any of these games, whether it be Bayonetta 3, Pokemon Sword and Shield, any Activision or Blizzard game because of all the heinous shit and Bobby Kotick. Because if you believe that, I'm sorry, but that's not realistic. And if people were getting disappointed by boycotts failing, that's what I really want to discuss of like, are you disappointed because it happened at all or because you actually expected it to, su- to succeed? Because if you actually suspected it to succeed, I don't know how in the world you could ever get yourself to think in that way. That is an incredibly... Not ignorant, because they're... Yeah, ignorant implies it's a negative thing that they're doing. It's... Naive. Naive? Yeah, hey. yeah it's very naive to think that, oh, we're going to boycott Bayonetta 3. Okay, it's probably still going to sell 2 million copies. Well, maybe not. I think not. if it's reviewable. Yeah, yeah, this, I, is, this is a different example. I, I, think, I think Bayonetta is like actually prime spot for like a game that actually could be affected by a boycott because it's not the largest fan base. But that being said, uh, talking specifically on this topic, I'm pretty sure Jason Trier and other reporters confirmed the numbers that Platinum was saying. Uh, that's still not a lot for like bigger voice actors and voice actresses, though. Is what I'm hearing. Gene Park was talking about that 
about how even if it's fifteen to twenty thousand, it's like get the fuck out of my face kind of money. How much for, he has like, to do for someone who is the main character of a, on the third entry of this series, I would say yeah, that those numbers do sound. Not that I am an expert on the rates of which voice actors get paid, but I would imagine that is just not not I'm, a fair rate there. I'm far from an expert as well. Um, Colin Moriarty but, and Gene Park were doing an episode of, of Sacred Samples Plus together, and they both talked about how even if it was 15 to 20, they were like, that's not at all what industry standard is for bigger actors and actresses and bigger budget games. This is laughable. She should have denied that as well. So it's not just... That's where I'm coming from with this, and they went into detail about that. I I believe it. It's uh it's it's really hard to remove your mind from like normal person mindset because if you could tell me that I would just have to work five long days and earn twenty thousand dollars. Well, no fuck, Owen, of course, <laughs> but like from what this I, is different than that. From what I understand, like because I've I've gone to a couple of panels at some conventions where voice actors kind of talk about the routine, what it's like to work in the industry to people who ask them, what's it like to be a voice actor? One of the common things is just, it's not just you have those five sessions, but you are on call at any hour of the day for a certain period of time while this contract is active. It's not just, oh, come in three times this week, we're done. It is for the month of March or April. We don't know when the sessions are going to be, but you have to be available at all times. And that's maybe not a golden standard for every uh, studio or even industry when it comes to voice acting. Uh, But I know that is a way that they have to work. So it's like, okay, if you have multiple contracts, you have to be available at all times. That just doesn't work because the scheduling conflict, you have to commit so much of your time to the schedule of the company when they need you. And that is I uh, very unreliable. I somewhat understand that. Um, I think it would be on uh, specifically probably the actor's agent to make sure like those times are properly compensated for. Mm-hmm. Um, because if the if they're saying five sessions, four thousand dollars each, I would I would think that that would have to be like a hard like definitive rule but also being the lead role in a game that is is at the very least reasonably successful i would be shocked if she would be taking home less than fifty thousand for the project i think um and i mean for all i know maybe that's way off too i think uh i can't imagine that there's like millions going around in the video game voice acting community except for maybe at the very top um but really we're we're just kind of speaking out our asses here mm-hmm. um but when it comes to the boycott movements in general i would say most of the time they earn an eye roll from me mainly because i never i never have any faith in the actual organization of them uh twitter isn't real as peter established and it's like i just think every time and time again people let good products win even if 
there are like some shady dealings in the back because like for example uh a lot of people stay true to like their boycott of chick-fil-a but like a lot of us also just like good chicken sandwiches and don't try and like put the moral standard on the purchase of it uh i think both things are ultimately acceptable here because uh i mean we can only do so much as as people and when it comes to the boycotting stuff it it does feel especially fraught at the at the biggest ends of like you know chick-fil-a is going to make their money no matter what so do you need to deprive yourself of a good chicken sandwich that's what you gotta weigh here I think a um, good comparison with that example, because uh, in my mind, there are four examples I think that are relevant in this conversation. We've talked about three of them, and they kind of scale up to each other. We're on the far end of like, this boycott is very silly. What are we even doing here? Is the Pokemon Sword and Shield one? Because people were mad. It wasn't what they wanted it to be. They said they were not going to buy this game, which obviously this game caters to a much larger audience than this small audience that is so demanding that the game caters to them specifically. It twisted over the nods a little bit, and I think this is when we can look at Overwatch 2 and some of that, uh, where people are boycotting the game over the grand scheme of all of the terrible allegations and things that have been confirmed, of course, of sexual harassment over at uh, Activision Blizzard. But at the same time, is boycotting this game going to solve that issue specifically? Like, you cannot, like, you can just not play any Blizzard games, but. I think executives at this point in time, the people who are like really in charge of these problems are going to look at these numbers and be like, oh, we're just going to let go of more employees. A thing Activision Blizzard has infamously done many times when the games aren't hitting the numbers they want. And the developers we are trying to support and help are hurting from that. And I'm not saying like everyone, you have to go buy the battle pass in Overwatch 2 to really support these devs. But like when we're really trying to think of like effective change in this scenario, uh, just avoiding the product does not necessarily help here also uh, i understand i've said this about the whole jk rowling and harry potter shit before jk rowling garbage human being anyone who ever whenever i see anyone like scout like scolding or judging anyone for wanting to play the harry what's the name of the harry potter game coming up hogwarts, hogwarts legacy, legacy. Hogwarts. it's like how could you so how could you support jk rowling give her money bobby kodak is a billionaire you not playing Overwatch or Call of Duty is not going to change the fact that that man and his family and his great-grandchildren will be wealthy beyond their wildest dreams. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I don't like that, that scum like him get to just live comfortably for the rest of their life when they've hurt so many people. But there's no changing the fact that he's already won. It's like you're trying to break the legs of someone... To stop them from winning a race when they pat when they you know passed the finish line 20 minutes ago it's already over You're like we've lost that battle there's nothing to wage there so accepting that and moving forward i think is the best course of action if that makes sense mm-hmm. uh and I, I think it is really like you're saying peter it is important to really think about what is the realistic approach here like the goals we're hoping to accomplish, just not supporting company, does that accomplish that? I think people really have to really consider that and reconsider where their stances on that. Uh, other examples, you mentioned the Hogwarts Legacy example, and I think maybe that one's a little bit more mixed than that. And it also, to put Blizzard back in the spotlight, 
uh, the Blizzchunk incident, where they were like truly taking away uh, the award of a player who said something that they they could not air and could not get along with, and of course people were not very happy uh, with Blizzard censoring someone talking about Taiwan. I think even to a degree the Harry Potter stuff too, where it's like okay, I... very different examples of a creator who's very far removed from the actual project versus a company's literally censoring their players. Of course, maybe you just don't support them for that reason. I'd understand that uh, a little bit more because there is a bit more of a stance like, okay, this company is actually doing something harmful. Uh, in mm-hmm. time. Uh, where, where JK Rowling, like, it's hard for me to say that they are not, but JK Rowling is out there, right? And she's, she's already made her money. It is hard to shut her down by not supporting that game, but also just on a personal moral standpoint, it's uh, if it if it is really bothering people that much, like it is that important, like for your own personal reasons, of course. And in a world where Hogwarts Legacy fails, like let's say that game bombs, you're gonna see a lot of people on Twitter pat themselves back. Yeah, eat shit, J.K. Rowling. She's still gonna be a billionaire. It, it, she will not lose anything she, by that game failing. I don't think. Do we think she'll even have a tweet about the game? I wonder if she even knows it's a thing that's happening. I don't I could I don't even know if she knows it's fucking real. And I just this is the part and again, it's like she's a bad person. It's a good idea, it's a good cause. But you have all these people going, I'm gonna stick to JK Rowling by not buying the game. No, you're fucking not. No, you're not. Are you not buying JK like you not buying that game is like imagining an ant trying to storm a six foot five human being. And the ant's like, I'm going to show them. They're not going to notice you. They're not going to notice you. You are nothing. We are, none of us, we are nothing to J.K. Rowling and people of that kind of wealth. We do not exist. We are not in the world. There is nothing we can do financially that will affect the wealth that she and others like her have accumulated. Do not buy the game. Do not buy any Activision Blizzard thing. Don't buy fucking Pokemon Sword and Shield, for the love of God. If you do, if these products do not hold up to your standard or morally, you are, they are not comfortable purchases made from you. That is totally fine. But to project that onto others and expect others to also have that expectation is unrealistic. In fact, hurts your movement and makes the chances of your movement succeeding less likely. I think uh, I think you just hit the nail on the head where it's like the projecting it onto others is what makes these movements so pathetic. Um, like I think back to how much we used to play Warzone. Like I stopped when the Activision Blizzard story came out because it was the type of thing where it's like. I, I didn't have to organize a movement or anything. It was unsettling enough that like these people enabled it all where I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to take a little break. Yeah. Um and, and I will go like go ahead on I'll go. I I, I was going to say like I've never had any delusions or plans where it's like, oh, I'll never play one of their games again or something. It was just kind of a thing that naturally lined up of like, mm, I'm not okay with this and Playing this game makes me think about it, so I'm just not going to play it. It was it was very natural. To me, what helps that, that what's changed since then is the fact that Xbox and Microsoft are on the verge of acquiring 
Activision Blizzard, and I've seen with Overwatch 2, I've seen so I've seen a few people on Twitter and tweets trending like, so I guess we didn't actually give a shit about all the Blizzard stuff that came out last year. Oh, I guess with everyone playing Overwatch 2, I guess no one ever cared. The change you want to see in that company is on the verge of happening once that acquisition is done. And a lot of the people who make those decisions and did that horrible shit are either gone or going to be gone once Phil Spencer is in charge. The, and to me, that that's easing at mind enough to me to know that oh, these scumbags will be gone in a few months, and this will be an Xbox first party game, mm-hmm. and this will be it's a, this will be directly oversaw like overseen by Phil Spencer and those he deems trustable and good people. That's to me why it's like whenever I see people scream about Overwatch two, like how could you after everything? We're on the verge of like you know the new era, and to me that's good enough for me. Like I know I know some people are going to be really upset and have express this that probably by the end of this deal bobby kodak is maybe going to get out of here scot-free he's going to sign off the deal and he's going to get out oh yeah no he's he's going to get a ton of money like what do they want to do do they want phil spencer to beat him up like i don't know what we're expecting here yes but it's not realistic well of course i would like if phil spencer beat up bobby kodak but like again that's the thing i don't expect it um, that would be a huge win for the gamers. Would you say that, Peter? Oh my God! If Phil <laughs> Spencer just like if like you know how they did that live presentation with Bethesda with Todd Howard and Pete Hines, like oh Bethesda's huh. done, it's just okay. We I, we bought Activision Blizzard and Phil Spencer and Eric. It's just a bunch of people with baseball bats approaching Bobby Kotick. He's like, what are you guys doing? And then it's just a beat the shit out of Bobby Kotick. Yeah. That's a joke, the- everyone. These are all jokes. <laughs> we are not actually wishing harm upon Bobby Kotick or anyone else who is currently employed by Activision Blizzard. This is all humor, free speech. Um. Anyways, uh, I think I think the last main one that I think of frequently is the Hogwarts one. Um, and that's one of those ones where it's kind of like the the Chick Fil A thing where. One, I mean, it has to do with the LGBTQ community. But two, uh, there there is a moral extension that gets thrusted onto people that aren't necessarily aware the, like, space they're entering into. And it's it both makes it difficult to discuss and also... I think is probably the biggest weakness of the movement because if anyone says like they don't need it Chick-fil-A for this reason or they they don't want the game because they don't like what JK Rowling is doing. Okay, fine. As soon as you say like, well, you eating a chicken sandwich or you eating or you playing Hogwarts legacy and liking Harry Potter means that you hate these types of people. When you make that extension, like that's when help. you lose. Who are you helping? Who are you assisting? You are making more people not want to assist you. If you tell everyone, if you're not with me 100 percent of the time, you're a bad person. That will make that will make so many people less interested in your movement and want to side with you. Like for the love of God, that's just such basic common sense. And the fact that so many well-meaning individuals who are on the right side of so many topics can't see that they at times they are their own worst enemy and they're completely fucking oblivious to it and also like you know harry potter means a lot to a lot of people it was a a significant part of my childhood Um, i mean it's it's a fun franchise i still like it harry potter is not 
jk rowling to me even though she made it so it's i think i've made this point on the podcast before when we've talked about it there's always the discussion of like can you separate the art from the artist and in a case of like kanye where all of his music is like it's very personal about his life like i don't really understand how anyone can separate the art from the artist but when it's jk rowling and she wrote a school about uh young kids going to wizard school like i think i can do it Uh, i think that's enough of a of a gap in topics that i can make it work does that make sense oh absolutely like and i also think like cherry on top here when it comes whether it's us or someone else out there it is really easy for someone to say they're going to boycott one of these things when they had no interest in them from the beginning. Like it's so easy to say, "I oh yeah, I'll I could boycott Bayonetta three or Hogwarts Legacy," but I was not going to play these games to begin with. And I think this is kind of like a weird loophole. Like people who are, who do get really hung up on this kind of thing, where like, okay, this is this is a movement they do want to support, but this is a game they were really looking forward to. Not a solution for everybody. And I remember I brought this up the last time when we talked about Hogwarts Legacy way, way, way back. But you could buy the game used somewhere. Yes. They, like the people you are you don't want to profit from this will no longer profit from it. And you get to play the game devs this way. Yeah, like, no, I love that move. Yeah, like, of course, we can't all do that. There aren't enough copies in the game to do that. But like in this example, like Hogwarts Legacy, Harry Potter is just too big to fail anymore. Like, we don't like the Sword and Shield example Pokemon, but, like, if you really wanted to boycott that but play the game, that game, Pokemon's just too big for us to kind of one-day boycott it for that kind of thing. Uh, but we as individuals do have options here to, to not support the things we, we think are hurt, hurtful or harming from these properties, but you can also find a way to enjoy it because these properties that uh, are tainted... Uh, with some poor company actions or tainted because they're attached to people with terrible, harmful opinions. Uh, sometimes the stuff they've created has helped a lot of people also. And that is like a, a contextual situation where separating the art for the artist, I think, is is important because these things mean something. I agree. Um, do we have any more on boycotts here? Uh, I think the only way to wrap it up really is like, to go back to Bayonetta, like this one we're still reacting to in real time. It is he said, she said, and I do think this game is also niche enough, like you were saying, Owen, like that maybe well, like, like this Bayonetta is not Harry Potter or Pokemon that it really could go down if enough people uh, really didn't want to buy it and really felt strongly against it, especially because Platinum Games not in the greatest position uh, financially. Like I feel like they don't have too many hits uh, these days, these past couple of years, especially writing off their last release of Babylon's Fall. And I feel like in the past couple of months, people have looked at Latin games to be like, huh, are they going to sell out to somebody? Like, is PlayStation or Nintendo or someone going to buy them? Uh, and they've definitely made comments on it. So, like, in, in one way or another, I could totally understand, like, why they'd be like, okay, we can't afford to, to go all out on a voice actress right now, even though she is Bayonetta. But I would believe one way or the other. I feel like Helena Taylor has more uh, more of an angle here of accuracy to where they're at. But of course, we don't know the truth. 
Uh, and I think this really could go anyway. Now, I think my my ultimate opinion on this is, and this is mainly coming from someone who's not a Bayonetta fan, and I, I don't have much attachment to her in any way, is that this is just like classic. It's like the consequences of doing business kind of thing. There's no human rights violation here by platinum games they just gave her a low ball offer and she was insulted by it as she should be um and she didn't come back for it and she had the right not to do that they ultimately should have paid her more all of this stuff should have happened if i was a bayonetta fan like a fan of the game and I really wanted to play Bayonetta 3, I would kind of look at this story and think like, I mean, that sucks, but it's not really my problem. Um, also, one aspect I've thought about, if Platinum can afford to like comfortably play uh, pay the, the actors of their biggest franchise, how, like, what fucking money do they have left? It well, also, really feels like Platinum is close to like, isn't, if this game if this game doesn't massively succeed, this could be it for them. Isn't Jennifer Hale like a bigger name? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm pretty sure she is union. one of the biggest in the industry. Like, and I imagine you have. To, I I would have figured if she's union, that that number that's floating around for Helena Taylor, Jennifer Hale, I really think must have been paid more than that. So I I agree. I, there is something weird about this story here, and I I really want to know what the truth is but i don't know if we will ever get the truth honestly i hope we do though all right well uh on that note i think it's about time we move on to talking immortality final topic we're talking about immortality the incredibly audacious game from uh sam barlow creator of her story and telling lies He's made this game Immortality that we have all played. And you know what? Me and Peter have given up some opinions on it already. Mark just played it. James played it around the same time as us. I want to start off with James. Just ask you top level thoughts. Like what were you thinking when you were going into Immortality and how did it either meet your expectations or subvert them? Um, <clears throat> going into it, I think uh, I'm not 100% sure what Peter's thoughts were, but I think we were along the same lines. Uh, we weren't really into her story, which I believe is his first game. Uh, so I was kind of the opinion that I really wasn't going to be into it whatsoever. And I didn't have my expectations were actually pretty low. Um, but it grabbed me pretty quick uh within probably the first like i don't know half hour or so uh i was surprised at that um when stuff started getting like i pretty much thought the whole thing is just like a move picking apart movies and then when this weird stuff started happening in the background i immediately sat up in my chair and became way more involved i loved it I I had the exact same experience. Um, I've kind of alluded to it in cute ways. How, like, I think the game 
when you started out, as long as you're willing to give it a chance, just seeing all of the stuff from the three different films is interesting. And it makes you kind of curious of like, ah, like I don't really know what's happening here, but they at least have me enough that I'm willing to like give them a shot to tell me. Yeah. Um, Peter, I know you had a a similar feeling to this though, where when you reverse just the right way during one of the vibration moments, I mean, it's so shocking and like it kind of hit the centers of my brain in a way that were almost like addictive where once I found them, I had to just try and find all of them. Well, at first, I thought my controller was broken when the vibration started because I had no idea what the hell was going on. I even went and grabbed a new pair of batteries, swapped them out. Because I was like, what the hell is happening? I don't under. And then I accidentally hit the left trigger, which sent me back, and I saw the screen flicker. I'm like, wait a minute, what the fuck was that? And then I discovered the mechanic, and I was. My jaw was on the floor when that happened. Yeah, I was the same way. And actually, did anyone play it with headphones on? I did. No. Absolutely. I did. I oh, okay. Did you notice the sound cues too? Oh, yeah. Like, the sound. So- like- um, because Peter, I, this is a random comment. You mentioned how, like, how would you play that with only mouse and keyboard? But it actually has sound cues too. If you listen in your headset, really? Yeah, it's it's kind of ominous. I only played this game between the hours of one a.m. and six a.m. Oh my god, <laughs> that's rough. Yeah, uh, well, that I would, is very good. Very good. I would say it's like a like a low rumbling kind of sound uh, that would go off in the headset. Yeah. I mean, you you can also, you can definitely hear a bit of it through TV speakers. It, it okay. may not be as pronounced. Um, it actually helps you in the uh, selection screen, too, I noticed. Like, it's actually directional. So if, if you're kind of lost on where to go next for the thing, it'll actually lead you to the next, uh, to the next like, uh, film clip to scan. Oh, wow, that's really cool. Um, so... Me, me, James, and Peter are pretty much on the record with just about the same opinions, top level on immortality. Mark, you're the one who's beat it most recently, and we know none of your thoughts on this. So yeah. just give us like your your quick two minute review, essentially. My two minute review is someone where this was my most one of my most anticipated games of the year, and talking about it nonstop and finishing it last of all of us somehow. Uh, I went in with really high expectations, just hoping like it was a better her story and uh, definitely started that way. And then by the end of it, uh, I was definitely more attached and invested in the story than I was her story. Uh, And I, I, I was very invested trying to figure out all the stuff about the movies, every story, and then all the weird stuff is happening, which I'm curious how many hours in for each of us it took for us to to figure out something weird was going on if it was very quick or not but even once i figured it out like i wasn't dying to go back and see all of them i was just like okay but i want to know what's happening in all the movies first and then i will i put a pin in like every every little weird spot be like okay i'll i'll shotgun all this back to back to back and then finishing the game uh initially like the night of finishing it i was a little sour on it uh, really? because uh, I made one mistake, and I'll get to it later, that kind of soured the ending. But 
then I fixed it, uh, and I wasn't really sure like something was going on. I felt like I missed something. I want we'll get into that later, but uh after a day of thinking of it later, uh I I definitely was more attached to it. Uh more more down with the idea because I think it's very easy to say the ending is not what you would expect going into the game by any means. Mm-hmm. Uh and everything like I was wondering was ha- possibly happening completely thrown out the window. Because how how is I how is anyone supposed to guess what is happening in this game? Oh yeah, no, I mean it would be impossible. Yeah, um, which kind of like I was disappointed uh, because I felt like I was I was really into some characters, and I'm realizing okay, maybe I wasn't actually into this character at all. But processing it all, letting it all sit for a while, uh, I I love it, and I'm still very fresh off the presses here. I am not even 48 hours off the presses of being. And I'm going to be playing more of this game. I'm not done with it still. I I actually, I haven't been able to get back to it, but I still have that opinion too of like, you know, I still have a lot of clips I could find. Um, And while I think I have a good grasp on everything, um, I'm sure that there is more that I can unravel that I would find interesting. (laughs) And I'm curious to hear about different sour moments for you. I will say with this game, I wouldn't accept someone saying like uh, it's stupid or not cool in some way, but I would accept if someone says like it doesn't work for them because it, it does get like extremely weird, extremely mm-hmm. weird in what I think is a really awesome way. Borderline, it's a horror game. After oh, I oh, loved absolutely. how yeah. Yeah. naturally <laughs> uncomfortable everything makes you. Yeah, um, from the cadence of their like speaking uh, of the like the actors of the I think what is it the one and the other one they're yep. called. I yeah. want to as you're talking about them. I talked on the podcast about how I one there is an actress in this game that I want to be nominated at the Keeleys for best performance. It is. I hope I'm saying this right. Charlotta Molin as the one is one of the best, is the best performance oh. I've seen in a game this year. Oh, and phenomenal. If she phenomenal. is at least not borderline nominated, it's a crime. She yeah. was fantastic. And I mean, there's the scene when the one latches on to us and she gets closer and closer to the screen, I Uh-oh. had to close my eyes and look away from the screen. <laughs> it was getting me so bad. <laughs> I mean, she she is so effortlessly horrifying in this game. Oh, absolutely. I Like, uh, we'll be mentioning it a lot throughout this uh, podcast episode. This is kind of like the acting episode of BNY, and it's cool that we get to kind of like cap off an episode of talking about a bunch of voice acting with, I mean, some legitimately awesome, like on film performances only like one thing I will say about this game that I love is that it's like obsessed with film, but never loses sight that it's a game and how every major moment, has to be fed to you through your active engagement with like the system that they have you set up with. I I just 
it it really makes the experience of it all just more for lack of a better word like fulfilling um it doesn't allow you to be a passive viewer it it forces you to actually pay attention and it's it's very used very well in this game exactly um mark i i gotta say i'm i'm just really curious about your opinions on a lot of this stuff can you can you like tell us the full story of your playthrough because it sounds like you only did you only do the five hours of one to six a.m i oh no no like that was like generally the middle of the night no one is around in the darkness is when i was playing there were some nights I oh my god like that's how i played this game total i think i might have the most hours of all of us i played i have nine hours in holy crap yeah i I definitely don't have nine i think i I have have, five or six i'm pretty sure i almost have all the clips at this point i don't have any of the achievements for having all the clips in any of the movies um Um, i'm dying to get all of them in some of these movies like there's there's certain questions i never got answered even if i like listened or read much of like a, a spoiler cast other people breaking it down i don't think they'd go into all the questions that i have i definitely once i finished went to TV tropes to get some stuff cleared out because like becoming you like, like let's, let's cut to this chase here. Uh, the one is some alien that has replaced Marissa Marcel. How many people understood that when they finished the game? Uh, I don't, oh, it's not, a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's an alien. I think it's a being not necessarily an alien. Yeah, I like, think it's, I think it's supposed to be almost, um, uh, Lovecraftian in a sense where they're like beings that you can't really figure out what they are and they're just doing whatever they want kind of thing. Yeah. They are they are some sort of otherworldly being is what it is. Whether they are some kind of demon or deity because like the first movie is like obviously trying to subtly reference oh he's like Marissa Marcel's character is actually a de- the devil in disguise but in reality like to an extent there's some uh, there's some truth to that because she is someone in disguise. Yeah, uh, but I I did not figure that out at all. And the one thing that was kind of sour in the ending I was referencing before, you unlock the last clip, which is the one slash Marissa Marcel is lighting herself on fire. She is done. Uh, she technically not get... herself. A- Amy's doing it. Who yes. is the other yeah. one? Uh, I and that's that's one thing I don't have figured out yet. One of the tr- like there's trophies for. Like finding out the, how a lot of the cast kind of meets their end, and Amy is the only one I never got. So you I don't never I, got oh, that one. Amy, I, uh, Amy's I believe Amy. background is the one I know the least about, but everyone else, I, yeah, I know a lot about. Like that's one of the things I really want to get in. Like another one of the other questions I really want to figure out is like, I still don't understand why Ambrosia never released to the public. I guess I didn't get some of the last Ambrosia stuff and that. I, that is something I did listen to one spoiler cast that helps me put the pieces together. Like I understood a lot of it, but like I needed, I needed some of the threads connected. Shout, shout out to my brother who's still playing it currently. Um, Let's go. I, I think, uh, I think literally the last thing he needs is like the fate of Marissa. He hasn't found that last clip yet. <laughs> um, and uh, he, kind of just like put it all together right away like i i have no idea how he did um legitimately like some of the first reveals of the one and the other one he figured out like oh well like she's being p- 
possessed and there's like immortal beings of some sort and he understands like there's one clip that where the one basically breaks down how she was like Jesus um oh and here uh this is so scatterbrained because another thing I found difficult about this game is that you discover everything in such a non-linear way that it's mm-hmm. like kind of difficult to keep it all clear Peter we have had discussions about when Marissa first gets possessed. Have you have you found the clips relating to that yet, or did you stop looking? No, I couldn't fucking find it, and I've still been looking for it. Okay. Is my, that a clip that exists? Uh, yes. Kind of. Kind oh of. Oh, my gosh. My I brother... I, I'm so impressed. You put this together immediately. Um, so there is a monologue where the one is talking about how she finds this uh this like girl in a barn who's dying and uh just wants whatever like to be able to live and this little girl says to her in french i think the words like are you an angel only it's in french so whatever she says um and then the one took control of this girl and kept her alive and and was able to like absorb many of her memories and this little girl was like obsessed with film and stuff so she like yeah. learned about this world from that so there's this monologue of it so you get the context from that and there is a clip that i saw but i did not put it together that it was connected to this and my brother put it together right away where it's in the church of ambrosio and like there it's camera on the entrance and there's kind of like red lights everywhere and the one starts walking down the aisle mm-hmm. and finds yeah. marissa on the ground with a bloodied head and then marissa says to her are you an angel in french and it's like a recreation of oh the fuck. of the possession essentially okay um, interesting Okay, I did not get that clip. I, that I, it's that clip sounds vaguely familiar. I might just rem- be remembering the bloody head from the one bar scene, oh and that, God. and then that scene mixed with it, like because I do remember the scene you're talking about where they walk down the aisle, um, and I do remember getting like uh, one of the reversal scenes there. Uh, I I didn't. I have seven hours in it. Um, I did like a clip count. I know there's a like 200 clips. I had like 160 of them. Um, I think I only had about 120-ish. Uh, I have 13 of the achievements, by the way, Mark. You asked that earlier. Oh, fuck. I forgot that. Look, <laughs> I'm sorry. Owen, do you know how many uh, achievements you had? I might I- be able to find it on my phone. Um, and actually, I think the uh, the what happened to Amy achievement was actually one of my first ones. Besides maybe Carl Goodman. Yeah, Carl. Well, was like, I found Carl in the first thirty minutes, and I was like, "Carl oh, was." I hardly knew who he was. Carl was the last one that I found. Wow. Um, I I found Marissa. This actually kind of like fucked up my understanding of the story. I found the fate of Marissa way too early, so like I had no idea what was happening. Wow. Um, that was that was the very last clip I found, and then rolled credits. Wow. Which is um, very fitting, I think. I uh, I rolled credits probably about three hours in, and it was a very obvious like, 
oh well i still have no idea what's going on so i just i just gotta keep it going wow wow i didn't i didn't roll credits for probably my i have about um seven hours i didn't roll credits for until probably the end of that time i haven't really gone back back to it since i've finished it um but i didn't roll credits until about the end of that seven hours okay i have 17 out of 27 achievements by the way i'm checking via the xbox app nice i had 19 out of 27 um i I do i do want to kind of want to go back now but oh well i have 14 very interesting um I'm curious what clips we all got last. Because, oh, and you said you had Carl's fade last. I uh, had Marissa's, Marissa's fade. Marissa yeah, was my, was yeah. Marissa also in the, for me. Okay. Because, like, I had assumed, because for the longest time I'm thinking, how do you even beat this game? I don't know what the answer is. And, you like, a certain, like, there are key clips you have to uncover the secret in. Uh, I think it's 10 of them, specifically. I don't know which 10. Uh, and then you just beat the game. I had assumed it was like, okay, you do enough of these, and then you just randomly unlock Marissa the next time you click on her face. Because I felt like as I was progressing through the game, uh, even if I just kept clicking on the same person's face after I'd done something important, I feel like I eventually would get something with that. Like I, One of the, my favorite things about this game was also just trying to tinker. Like, How the fuck does any of this work? Because this <laughs> is so intricate, because there are so many things that you click on that can lead to so many different things. Uh, and I just assumed, oh, once you have all the check marks, check marks of like all the stuff you need to see, it takes you to Mercy's fate. But that is very cool that that is not the case, actually. After um, going at it pretty sporadically for a while, I just put it in movies and their chronological order. And they just started going scene by scene. If I got taken to a different scene, I'd go back to where I started and just started going through them that way. Was there a movie for any of us that we were like? way more fond of and wanted to try to dig the most into i think owen and i've heard other people say this about the films like oh i don't watch any of these movies even though they just existed as their own two of everything in minsky maybe i found ambrosio so obnoxious and pretentious and i hated the dialogue and i feel like i was supposed to but then i hear everyone say like oh this seems like an interesting movie i'd actually like to watch it and maybe i'm just the one who's wrong well, um, one thing that's interesting about Ambrosia is that it actually is like an adaptation. They actually did an adaptation of a real book, and like it's credited in the credits of the, the movie that they act like actually cited from the source material, um, which I think is just super neat. Like they they went all the way and truly made a movie based on this thing. Um, I think the one that clearly seemed the best was Minsky. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked Minsky a lot. Like Minsky is one that it's like, oh, I would actually totally watch that. Um, Ambrosio seems like the type of movie that like it just seemed a little boring to me. Uh, not in like a. Uh, I'll put it this way: I think all of these films like achieved being exactly what sam barlow was going for so like ambrosio is a more classical kind of movie and that can kind of come with some boringness to it and there's probably some level of like we're not trying to pretend that the director of that movie is like one of the greatest directors of all time or anything minsky plays the role of being this kind of like 
subversive first film. We're going to have a ton of sex on screen and uh, really make it controversial. And then I thought two of everything seemed really shitty. And I think it was intentional because one, it kind of fit the style of like, it just seemed like the type of nineties movie. Like they just got some more like high definition cameras and they're kind of experimenting with it. But also contextually why I think it was shitty. I want to know if you guys understood this, uh, before listening to a spoiler cast. So I'm sure Peter knows this. Cause I know we listen to the same podcast. Um, John Durek is being controlled by the one at the same time that she's controlling Marissa yeah. in that movie. I, so, I, did, I didn't realize that till I was done, but it makes I sense. didn't realize that. And then I heard in a podcast, I went back and watched the scene and there's, there's a uh, there's a scene for the two of everything where there is a like a cast sit down and they're reading the script, and if you go back in the footage, the one replaces where Marissa is sitting and John disappears, and I never understood um, that. Same, same. Until I had to point out to me, then it's like, oh my god, that's like I want to say that's obvious, but it's also not. But that makes wow, that so makes a lot more sense. sense huh? Yeah, it, that makes so much fucking sense. It also, it kind of explains where, like, I was watching clips from Two of Everything and thinking, like, this seems kind of shoddy. Like, just uh, maybe it would be an entertaining movie, but it just doesn't seem like a very good one. Um, And contextually, it makes sense. It's not like, oh, Sam Barlow is, like, out of his depth trying to make these movies, like... It all makes sense. And I will say, uh, I think he's like a legitimately talented director to be able to pull this off. I mean, they they made three movies for this. Yeah. And all yeah. of the behind the scenes for them. Like, that's unbelievable. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work for this game. And that's incredible. And just it was definitely worth it. Yeah. Um, I... Uh, the thing I wanted to talk about is at the end of the game uh, one of the reasons why I was kind of sour on it because up until I went to the TV tropes page I was of the thought process that the one was a future version of Marissa Marcel and that the clips we were seeing that were corrupted were like this version of Marissa, the future Marissa Marcel in the footage itself, like not in the moments themselves. So any scene where the one was talking to someone, I thought that was her like possessing the footage. And then in retrospect, learning like, no, this she's actually there in these moments. And that's really what was happening. Not something I had thought was ever. So when I got to the TV tropes page, it'd be like, yeah, she replaced Marissa Marcel. I felt betrayed because I was so in love with Marissa Marcel's character. I'm just like, Oh, she wasn't even there. It wasn't even her. She's not even a real person anymore. I felt I was very uh, torn by that because I really liked her story going through it, uh, and then only to realize, oh, that story was not even real. It's, it's which not a- uh, her actress as well is, was incredible in this. I think so. uh, Man in Gage, I think it is, and she's she- like never been in anything. Um, which I I think that should be corrected. What 
I I have at least my my toes dipped into like film <laughs> Twitter and listening to like movie podcasts and stuff. And I really wish that this game would like get on their radar because I just think it's it's that impressive. Like it it is deserved that like these actors and actresses, all of them get noticed to some extent and that like they should just be having a discussion about how how cool this game is essentially um it, it is funnier uh her i her imdb does uh she only has one other movie real live girl uh but she has two of everything minsky and ambrosio on her imdb yeah there's actual IMDb, imdb pages for the movies that they make for this like fleshed out pages on each of these movies. that's uh that's pretty cool that is so cool. Another just weird tangent that in the credits, they had a whole division of people devoted to COVID testing on site and lead COVID testers. They all are credited on this game. And oh, wow. I, yeah, I've never been credited on any game I've worked on, but I'm glad the COVID <laughs> Minor salt. I'm a good on them that they happened, but like also like, come on, guys. <laughs> come on. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, what, what route did I want to go down? Oh. Did you guys see the reverse clips that exist within the very first TV interview? Yes, I did. I wasn't sure if that was required viewing to finish the game or not. I think I, I'm. I never did. Sure, no. I did. I never did, and it was not required viewing to finish the game. But then I was in the room as my brother found them, and. I mean, like, my mouth was open the entire time I was watching it because that is the clip that it, like, pretty much explains everything, I think. I I think I would have had a hard time thinking, like, oh, these are cultists or they're aliens or whatever uh, after watching the clip because they basically explain about how they've been alive all throughout time and how they've tried morphing with humans to see if they can bring humans to their level and they can't. Um, it's alluded to in that clip that, that she was Jesus. They talk about how crucifixion doesn't kill them. Drowning doesn't kill them. Uh, hanging doesn't kill them, but uh, fire seems to work. Like they, they lay it all out in that clip. Yeah. And I can't believe that I missed it. I remember watching that clip and thinking just like, I don't know what being Marissa Marcel has ascended to in the future, but holy shit, I can't wait to <laughs> explain how Marissa Marcel became this. And I was the, like, what? The misconception that I had the whole time is I was convinced that these were like two just like psycho fanatics that were cultists in some way that were obsessed with the story of Marissa Marcel because one of the first clips of them I found was what appeared to be a recreation of in Minsky Marissa Marissa's character painting Carl while he's naked and then when you find the reverse clip it's just the one and the other one doing that and I was like what are they doing like did they like find these old sets and like start recreating this stuff yeah um and it wasn't that at all. Uh, that you might be able to say that that's a flaw of this game, that it lets our imagination run a little too wild to the point that you might never actually figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like 
It's it's tricky and it wants to be super tricky about it. Uh, I'm curious, Peter and James, what did you guys? What conclusion did you guys come to before having to fact check everything? Like, what if I have to speak perfect, if I have to speak honestly, every time I saw the one, I I also I thought that was just Marissa. I don't know why I thought that. In retrospect, that was stupid. It it took me a second to realize like. That is not her. Yep, I thought that was Marissa the the my entire playthrough until I looked things up. No, I thought it was the entire playthrough. I really did. I the entire playthrough. I thought that was Marissa. I was like, wow, they really made the actress look noticeably different. How did they do this? And then I had <laughs> after like I didn't realize until I had to look at this woman closer and closer in the face as she kept getting closer to my TV, and I kept briefly opening my eyes and went, oh, actually, that doesn't look anything like <laughs> like Marissa. I, when I, when I started uh, listening to a spoiler cast about talking about, oh, the one and the other one, and they're like these demonic beings, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking? And then I went back and rewatched scenes like, oh, that's totally what this was. Oh, I, I don't know how I was like so gripped and captivated by this game, but it just seems like that main plot point completely went over my head, and I don't know how. Um... I, at first, I was kind of along the same idea of, like, this, I kind of had a similar idea to Mark, or feeling to, like, a future version, um, but at, with it, and every time she popped up, she'd always replace Marissa, um, and there was just some scenes about how she, the way she talked about being Marissa, and, like, the way she talked about being Marissa wasn't, like, the same as her reliving a memory, if you understand what I'm saying there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's when it kind of was like, okay, that's that's weird. Um, and I didn't, but I didn't put together the them being, like, ancient beings until that scene in the first clips that you were talking about, Owen, with the reverse where it's like where she was basically talking about being Jesus and uh, like what can kill them. And it's like, oh, OK. So they've been doing this for a while. And that and that's when you st I uh, put together the a bit more of it. Uh, I had to look up a deeper explanation of the ending because I was still a little confused um, with like the fate of marissa i mean obviously it's obviously she's being set on fire but i got a little confused what was happening there in context so I one thing that, that confuses me did you all unlock uh, the fate of john durick the director i did yeah oh uh, yeah you know what i don't think i did uh, that's I mean, the joke yes you really will make it understand like why that's the Why choke, right? Both of them. Well, it starts as a choke, and then she yeah. eats him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She physically well, eats like, him. Or no. It's not exactly No, no, that. no. Like, I've definitely seen a clip of just where it is the one standing near what was, like, not necessarily the corpse of both Carl and John, but, like, like it shows John. It's, like, the one clip. Uh, It's, like, supposed to be the final shot of Minsky. And it is uh, Franny standing in front of these two masks in the museum. And then both the masks turn to Carl, John, and show. I saw that one. Carl, yeah, Carl with the. No, gun. I, I'm talking about 
the scene where she kills John. Yeah, because she like strangles him and just like almost it seems like she bites his ear off. I don't think she No, she bites into his neck and takes a chunk of flesh out of his neck. She starts eating John. I that's not what I got out of it. I thought I thought he started bleeding like from his mouth and she kissed him. And that thought, she yeah. that's what I thought. I thought she started like I thought she took a chunk I don't know if I was saying something on a spoiler cast. I swear she, like, started, like, t- eating John. And then I saw, like, because I, I was listening to a spoiler cast, so, like, they also referenced the scene. Yeah, she's, like, consumed. She starts eating and like, consumes John. And I was like, holy fuck. But I didn't take that scene as her consuming him. What I don't get, a part that confuses me, is that when, when she first takes Marissa... Or Mark and James, are you too aware of the time when, like, the what year it is that she first takes over Marissa? I do because there's a uh, there's a scene where in a reversal where you hear German troops and yeah. stuff like that in the background while she's screaming, uh, yeah. and it's the memories of the little girl. Yeah, Mark, she's first taken over in World War Two. I I never got a clip that implied that, but from some the summary I read on TV tropes, it implied that she, throughout the entirety of this game, the one is Marissa Marcel. So then, she takes over Marissa during World War II, lives in her body for decades and decades. At a certain point, she I swear this happens. She leaves Marissa's body and just fucks off and goes elsewhere. Is um, this is this Owen? I Owen. We listened to the same so, spoiler cast. Doesn't Rebecca Valentine discuss this? From from my understanding, so games, I thought it was like that's when. Where one of Mark you go. go? Um, I, Mark just cut off. I don't know where he went, but um, okay. So, not not the best podcasting, but recap what you're looking for me to confirm one more time. I'm what I'm confused about is the one takes over Marissa, lives in Marissa for decades. There is apparently a scene. I mean, apparently at some point, Marissa. I mean, the one leaves Marissa's body, goes and inhabits someone else, and that's when Marissa goes into hiding, or like not goes into hiding. But if you remember, there's an interview with John Durek on that one talk show where the host is like, "Hey, do you know where Marissa Marcel yeah. is? We haven't seen her in years." And that is when Marissa is living on her own again. It doesn't have the one inhabiting her. But the, this is the thing that's been confusing to me. Yeah, cause because she clearly, kills John and then well, possesses John. It's like, how does this work? Like she, she is clearly John at a point. Can you, and can you guys hear me now? Yes, yes we yes. can hear you. But okay. um, so, what? Uh, to my understanding, Marissa disappears because. Oh, and you, you wouldn't know this because you didn't see the scene where John dies. Uh, the one, like, murders her and, like, explains, like, I, like, 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 John is, like, very confused and not sure why he's getting murdered. Thought that uh, the one, because the John, John, that the one is Marissa. And that's, like, part of the foundation of their relationship. And he thought that this otherworldly being loved him. And it's like so confused. Like, I thought you loved me. I thought you wanted to be with me. And she's like, no, I didn't want to be with you. I wanted to be like you. And throughout the like progress of Minsky, she becomes disappointed uh, with him. So she's like, okay, 
I'm just going to be you. I want to be a director now. I want to do this directing thing. So Marissa disappears because then she assumes the identity of John and goes on to direct for 20 years. So like in that interview right there with John explaining like Marissa went on to be do something else. That is the one telling you I went on to go direct at that. So there there is one main question that I still don't really understand. What's that? And it's that I don't I I don't understand where Marissa went and why Marissa can just be brought back in the 90s completely unaged. That's what I'm thinking. That's what confuses me is that Marissa is on the brink of death in the 40s. Obviously is then possessed by the one, lives for decades. And then she's just like, I, I never understood. Like, is it the one like keeping her alive at that point? What I don't get is like John physically dies and then it's taken over by the one. But then at the end of the game, the one chooses to be burned to death and die from Marissa's body. So then what the fuck happens to John? Does she let go of her possession? Is he alive again? Does he just drop dead? I don't. That's that's what confuses me. To my understanding, it's not so much just like the one is inside of them, like these two people inside of Marissa and John, but the two of them became the one. And the big thing with two of everything, like it's really on the nose with how the titleism is about being in two places at once, is that the one has split herself to be both Marissa and John. And the reason why Marissa's like having a meltdown on set. Because she's having trouble, because the one is struggling to maintain two possessions at once. Yeah. And like there's even the one song, right? The the pop song that Maria is all about, like how she is too much of everything, two hands, two eyes, because she's just doing too much and she has pushed herself to the limit that I haven't seen the end of Anna, who, who was apparently the other one, but I, I assume she just chooses like, I can't live like this anymore. I would rather die at this point. But uh, I would really like to know why she comes to that conclusion, why she would rather die, even though she was so obsessed with humans. Yes. Now, uh, the last thing I want to talk about is kind of just like our lingering questions on this. But Mark, mm-hmm. I do want to kind of explain to you the scene that gets you the fate of Amy. Because I feel okay. like it's kind of essential for you to know it. Okay, I'm going to find it tonight, probably. Okay, uh, and and I encourage you to. But... uh. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the scene that shows you her fate. Uh, I don't remember what leads you to it, but when you do the the in and out of clips, you have to do it like four different times. It eventually pulls out and reveals that Amy is the wife of John Durick, I believe. And she had the film from uh from Minsky and sees Carl die on screen and somehow like through the film being able to see that death even though the other one was burned the other one was then able to take control of Amy because of that okay. which also completely explains the ending which is yeah. the final clip of of the one saying to the screen, 
and now I'm in you. Yeah. Because yeah. we witnessed her death through the film. So it kept her alive even though she burned. Okay. I, I had read that that is what happens at the end. Of, supposedly there is some clip of the other one where like that, that, that explains that you can do this, you can live on if someone sees you die. I knew that but didn't know it was connected from the one summary I read, but that is interesting. Because I knew Amy and John were somehow in a relationship because there is, during some of the rehearsal scenes for Two of Everything, they are very close to each other, head on shoulder, little kisses sometimes. That they were close. Uh, but it just makes it more weird knowing that it is still that that scene is the one and it is the other one. I just feel I feel for everyone else on the set that is surrounded by the one and the other one that they are just trying to to make some cool art and they are surrounded by deities and they don't even know it. All right, so I just want to open the floor. If anyone has any like lingering questions they're still thinking about, uh, throw it out there. We can try and vamp to see if we can figure out any answers for it. After this discussion, I just want to know why Ambrosia was never released. That's all I have, because obviously Minsky doesn't air because Carl's killed, and the two of everything, because obviously everything that happens with the one, but Ambrosia finished. They have a wrap-up party and everything. Like It seems like it's going to be released. And then it just never is. Now, I know one theory on it, but I'm not sure if there's anything to corroborate it. Um, I believe it's that the director got spooked by how raunchy they got and was worried it was going to ruin his reputation. That director of Ambrosia is also someone I have a question about. Because... There is another reverse scene where it's just the one in like the black room when it's black and white and she's just talking. And she discusses about right before he died, he like sent a letter to Marissa saying that he was sorry and that he apologized for everything he did. And I never found out exactly what she was referring to as to what crimes or misdeeds that that original director had done to Marissa on Ambrosia. Does anyone else know this? I, I just assumed it was kind of like off. Like, I don't know if that director knew that uh, Marissa was the one by any means, but I assumed it was just that that director did not treat woman right on his set whatsoever. Literally multiple times in rehearsal just says to the woman, your job is just to look pretty on the camera. That is it. That is what matters. Uh, and there's even scenes like in rehearsals where he doesn't even like your performance. Like he's throwing paper at Marissa, just being like, you're not doing uh, was very strict and very demanding on set as well. I, I just assumed that's what it came down to. But I do also know there was, I don't know if you guys saw this, there is Marissa's rehearsal, like, not her rehearsal, her audition for the role of Madeline for Ambrosia. Did you guys see that at all? I actually I did don't not think find so. that clip. Okay, because it is a clip that has the twist in it and uh it is the tables turns the one puts the director in the seat and starts asking him questions and is shouting at him uh, and he's very uncomfortable in the seat uh which i don't know if that actually happened or not i'm assuming it did because it turns it seems like most of these scenes did happen so maybe there is some sort of in there i don't know um all right last call 
for any lingering questions. Um, going once, going twice. Only thing I want to bring up question here uh, isn't a lingering question, but I'm curious if anyone feels confident in some takeaway. Like, what do you guys think immortality is about? Shit. About? James, oh, you boy. go first. I oh, mean, thanks. I mean, thematically. Like, this is the You know, I know, and James is excited to go first, and he's going to give us his answer. I'm going to I'm gonna save James a little bit <clears throat> and vamp for a little bit about how uh, I think the the meaning behind everything it almost seems like a little too much like it's a little too deep it's literally going back to like Adam and Eve with stuff they're pulling from mm-hmm. but with that I want to point out and a lot of achievements were related to this I loved how specific it was on like the symbolism because that's also part of the gameplay that we didn't even mention at all is that you're you're finding images within scenes to find new scenes True. and then you get like an achievement for clicking on fruit and stuff and it comes with a little description like fruit equals temptation and it equals sex and that is all stuff that is uh i mean that's steeped in the bible i mean like the the apple and adam and eve is mm-hmm. uh, a symbol of that and there there's more like that there's art pieces and uh they're the classic Chekhov's gun like you click on the gun a yeah. few times and you're going to find stuff from it i um, think the crosses too if i remember correctly the crosses uh, you are correct yeah there's one for keys there's one for masks also there's one for animals and it's a snake and the cat that you have to click on i uh, actually think i know what it's about i think it it just clicked for me what do you think with how steeped this is in religion I, I feel like it's almost kind of saying that it doesn't matter what you believe in terms of religion. There is always this immortal spirituality that is going to exist no matter what. Okay. Interesting takeaway. Peter? I hate to be this Loser, I can't think of a better way to describe it than what Owen just did. Okay. Because I, I had a completely different takeaway. That, like religion was not on my mind. Well, hang on. Yeah, James. Oh, yeah, James. James. By all means, go ahead, James. I don't know fully. Honestly, I don't really know fully. It's tricky. Like, I think there's a, it's juggling a lot. And it's like we even said, it's such a nonlinear way that. To put the pieces together. And like all of us may not have a lot of the, when I uh, we didn't have all the pieces. When I finished her story, I was wrong also when I finished that game about what was happening. Because I missed a clip that was very important. Where her story, I think, was even easier to have more of an ambiguous ending, but not not in a better way. Just because there are just certain points you might not see in that story. And that's that's besides the point for her story, but for what I my interpretation of what this story was about was kind of just about art and artists and like a pursuit of wanting to live forever and leave your mark on something. Whereas all these people so invested, whether it is John, uh, John in his pursuit, the original director in his pursuit, like what the what the the human beings are trying to get out of their art and really say something, when then these immortal beings kind of step into the plate 
where the other one is only there because the one is there and he he thinks it is foolish that the one is so obsessed with these humans but she thinks it is very uh interesting they, the humans are so cool that uh because their time is so finite that they have this need to express themselves that it was she wanted to play that part herself like she was so infatuated that way i think not only that but it's almost like i mean think about how long some of the art has been around now that's still in museums uh art is a way that humans have immortalized themselves and she is an immortal being and Mm-hmm. there's a finite being that found their own way to live beyond their means. Yeah. Um, and Through I, I movies think, and different art. Yeah. And and some of the people are just so desperate to kind of reach that goal, whether it is uh, John, who really has this weird, like his art his, in his art that he's working on is just so involved in sex. Uh, he's very perverted minded that it's hard to see of what, what really is his vision that it's really clouded and even to the point where the original artist they had to play minsky was so sick of his vision uh it's just like you're not a real artist you're, uh, you're although i mean that guy he should he should have had a good idea of what he was signing up for and the fact that he quit on scene one yeah a little ridiculous <laughs> in my opinion a little, a little ridiculous <laughs> yeah um i really i really like that takeaway i I really respect this game because I think I think it allows for both of our takeaways and that like it fits. It fits perfectly, actually. Um really, really impressive game. Really glad that Peter got us all to play this. You're <laughs> um, welcome, everyone. Yeah. Peter told me he was quietly playing it, and I'm like, screw it, I'll fucking play it too, I guess. I'm um, surprised that Peter used to actually love this game. Yeah, I here's a wacky prediction. That's, I that's think how that, I was convinced to play. I was like, how? So how did you like Immortality? He's like, to be honest with you, I loved it. And I'm like, well, now I got to play it, I guess. <laughs> I I don't see a way how Immortality isn't BNY's game of the year at the end of the year. I don't see a world where it's uh, not. I could see it. Um, I mean, Ragnarok. Well, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I do not see Ragnarok being our game of the year. I, mean, I, could, I, I think it'll be mine. I think. Oh, well, James, you don't listen to BNY. Owen despises PlayStation right now, and I think he would never let PlayStation be a game no, of the year. No, no. If if Ragnarok's <laughs> really good, I'm going to give it its flowers. The thing is, is that Ragnarok is not going to be better than Elden Ring, uh, in my book. Yeah. Uh, I, I right now I can say that i like immortality more than xenoblade 3 right now it's, no way i i'm <laughs> i'm so i like i'm still two days off of this so like, give me a week maybe i feel differently but i am so obsessed with this game the fact like wow my feelings towards the game until beating it like i had like i was so into just understanding the characters in it and then the rug is pulled for underneath me. It's like most of the characters, like you were really understanding and trying to figure out their pursuit, are two different fucking characters. And the whole story is now topped on its head. It's a completely different perspective. It's like I, I went through an amazing story of these artists trying to make these three films. And then all of a sudden, it's actually a story about like these DVs that are, are playing human. And a mix of these two stories. Like, Finishing the game, I thought, like, okay, this is giving me vibes of why I loved, um, what's it called? Very different game. We did it for Game Club. Peter hated it more than anything. 
uh, Overden. Overden in the sense of like this game is <laughs> narratively weaved together in such a unique and interesting way, definitely built on the back of her story. But the story and the characters are also just so interesting. Uh, there aren't games like this. Uh, and we even briefly mentioned it before, a lot of characters and performances in games aren't always... Uh, we lost Mark again. Oh, oh, oh man. Oh, my God. Nope, um, there he goes. All oh right. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, he just got possessed by the one. All right, he's gone. Um, well, Mark, that was beautiful. Thank you for that contribution. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll never that, see you again. Now that Mark says that, uh, I mean, trust me, I'd, I'd be happy if this wins being wife's game of the year. Oh. I mean, I mean, back for blood was on our la- top 10 last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah fucking was. That's um, part of how I think immortality will win because. We have Owen and I have a grudge for last year where Peter swept our game awards last year. <laughs> I I'm the one who's saying I think Immortality is going to be it. Again, I think Ragnarok or Sparks of Hope will end up being my game of the year, but I'm not against Immortality being number one. I, I wanted to end the pod, Peter, you're the only one who can't answer this. Is Immortality better than Elder? Do we like it more? Not is it better? That's a bit too But bad. wait, what did you say? You got quiet at the end there. Do we like Immortality more than Elden Ring? Um, I don't still. No. Um, but like my, my gut instinct is right now. Immortality is number three for me for the year. Um, what's in front of it? It would be Elden Ring and Neon White still. Um, James, didn't you beat Neon White? I am playing Neon White. I uh, have not beaten it. I've taken a pause recently on, a couple things due to a uh, Pokemon ROM competition <laughs> we started. Well, uh, that that'll be talked about later on in the pod, I'm sure. Or, I mean, if we're we recording get out of earlier. Uh, we're gonna get there because we're ending the immortality topic now, which also means because this is technically the end of the show. Goodbye, everyone. See you next week. Yeah. Bye. I won't. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>